Father, as we come in Jesus' name and through his blood tonight, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for your presence that's in this place. But Lord, we thank you for the word. Where would we be today without your word to be an anchor to us? Uh, your word has established us in truth and leads us in all truth, all righteousness. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's precious. And as we get into this tonight, I pray, Lord, and I thank you for your Holy Spirit speaking through me. The word of the Lord is living seeds of truth that is sown out into good soil of hearts and minds and lives that are watered by the Holy Spirit. And these seeds of truth will take root and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And it's going to get where it's supposed to as the winds of the Holy Spirit carry the seed out among the nations. And Lord, I thank you for um, everything said that's supposed to be said tonight. I thank you for cl clarity. There'll be a flow in the word of God. And Lord, I thank you even now. The word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And the Bible says the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So we collectively agree together as a church. And anything that's trying to hinder this word from getting what it's supposed to or accomplishing what it's supposed to, we command it to be bound in Jesus' name and back off right now. And Lord, I thank you for your angels just cleared away any hindrance. But Lord, this will go forth and produce what it's supposed to in every life. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, our minds to be focused on you and not distracted. Help us, Lord, to learn tonight. I thank you by your precious Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name, and we thank you for it now. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned earlier in the service, but I need to get this on the recording, there's going to become a great separation. And the Bible says that there's this whore of Babylon, and it's a harlot. It's a harlot church, but it's basically like a, a spirit of harlotry which we'll get into later on i'm not going to get into all of this tonight at all this is going to be a series but we'll look at revelation 17 18 we'll look at revelation chapter 13 but tonight i want to just kind of lay some groundwork where we're going but there's going to be the true church and then a harlot church and so right now they're kind of blended but as the days keep going forward, the harlot church and the true church are going to increasingly be separated from each other, and it's going to become very noticeable which one is which, okay? You're going to be able to know the harlot church, and the Bible shows us that there's going to be like a falling away and a, an apostasy. And there's going to be an apostate church. It's like a counterfeit. And I'm going to show you some things in Scripture. And then I'm going to bring this into kind of some interesting Scripture that is more for us in River of Life. And I believe will be a blessing to you. But 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Now, Paul was writing this early on in his ministry. But see, somebody apparently had circulated a letter that supposedly had been from Paul that was stating to people that the coming of the Lord had already happened. And so he had to deal with that. And so as he was writing to the church in Thessalonica, he said this, now don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day, talking about Jesus is coming, okay? That day will not come until the rebellion occurs. That's an apostasy. 
The Greek word is apostasia here. I mean, it's not any more clear than that. It is a, an apostasy occurs and the man of lawlessness, which is the Antichrist, is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. So two things Paul said before Jesus comes, there would be a great falling away that would happen. And number two, the Antichrist would be revealed. The coming of the Lord cannot happen until those two things happen. And so as we look at, we obviously know about the Antichrist. So let's focus on this rebellion, this falling away, this apostasy. What that's stating here is, is that God's going to clean house. I've heard it said that when revival comes, one of the first things God will do is he will electrify the fence. Meaning everybody that's trying to ride the fence is going to choose which side they're on. And that's what's coming. God is going to separate the wheat and the tare. And right now, we're living in a very strange time. And, and in some ways, I'm not sure the church has ever had to deal with some of the strange things that we're dealing with today. Maybe it was just the, the closeness of the coming of the Lord. But there's a lot of deception. And there's a lot of strange things going on. But we're seeing that. We're seeing right now, there's this weird mixture, this blend in Ameri the American church where there's obviously things that, that are creeping in that are seducing spirits, doctrines of demons, and things that have to do with apostasy, worldliness, possibly a greater worldliness than we've ever seen over this last 2,000 years. Worldliness has crept in. Entertainment has, has crept into the church. But there's, there's strange things, strange spirits that have come in. And as that's come in, see, you're seeing this apostate and you're seeing this weird stuff blend in, but yet there's also the true people of God. And so Jesus gives us a parable here that's going to show you that this was predicted to happen, and then it's going to show you how God's going to fix it. And that's Matthew 13, 24. Jesus gave them another parable to consider, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in a field. How many knows the Lord has sown good seed? But while his, his men were sleeping, now pause right there. Sleeping is prayerlessness. So whenever God's people quit praying like we're supposed to, all right, the enemy snuck in and sowed tares among the wheat. And he went away. So when the plants sprouted and formed grain, the wheat wood, the tares appeared also. The servants came to the owner and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in the field? Then how do we have tares in it? And he replied, An enemy has done this. And the servants asked him, Then do you want us to go and pull them out? And he said, No, because as you pull out the tares, you're going to uproot some of the wheat with them. He said, let them grow together till the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, first gather the tares and tie them in the bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat in the by barn. That's what's happening today. And revival is going to finish that work, I believe that. So what's happening is this. You've got a mixture among the people of God today in the church. And you've got tares among the wheat. What are tares? Tares have different DNA than wheat. There are people that are not really the Lord's. 
They go to church, they know how to act, they know the lingo, but they're not really the Lord's. And so the Lord's going to send. Now, he goes on in Matthew 13, in verse 39, to say the end of the age is the harvest, and the harvesters are the angels. So when he's saying, I'm going to send my reapers, he's going to send his angels. That's what he's saying here. See, the angels will know the difference. If you and I try to always pick and choose about who's real and who isn't, we really don't know people's heart. And we're liable to remove somebody that really is the Lord's. You understand? So the Lord's going to send his angels to clean house. And he said, first, they're going to gather up all the fake Christians, all the hypocrites, all those that are not really the Lord's, and they're going to be removed out to be burned. That's judgment, ultimately hell, but they're going to be removed. And then he said he will gather his people into his barn. And I believe that has to do in one way or another getting into heaven. So whether it's the rapture or whatever, but there's going to be this separation between the two. We're living in a time where God has begun that process. And I wonder sometimes if some of the places, y'all look this way and hear me. I wonder right now if some of the places called churches and don't get me wrong, I love church, I love God's house, and there's some wonderful churches out there. But I'm saying I wonder sometimes if some of the places that are called churches are no longer actually churches from God's perspective, but in actual fact are just a social gathering. It is an entertainment-based thing. It's got... They, they have programs for kids. They have fun things to do. They have activities and they have all this going on. Yet, from God's perspective, it's not really truly something that is a true church according to the book of Acts. The, the description that God would give. And I wonder if it's instead of having real men or women of God that are apostles and prophets and pastors that are true fivefold ministry anointed by God operating in spiritual authority and power standing in that office in some of those places that doesn't seem to be there but rather it's like a hireling that they want there and the bible predicted that because it says that in the last days that some would not want to hear the truth and so they would gather unto themselves can't you just see this they run it like a business so they gathered unto themselves somebody that they can put up there that's just going to tell them what their itching ears want to hear it's a business. They pay his salary. His job is tell them what they want to hear. Keep them entertained. And so we have some places that I'm wondering, this is just me wondering, are they possibly places where the tares are being separated and they're going there? While the wheat are being separated to places where God's presence is, his power is and the word of God is really being preached because when people are truly the Lord's and they're really born again and they're really God's people church is not boring to them they love God's house they don't need to be entertained all the time they the word of God the presence of God the things of God are enough they're happy because they're really God's people, they're born again, the Holy Spirit is inside of them, and they love the Lord, they love his house, and God's enough for them, but places where the tares are gathering, 
God isn't enough for them. They, they have to constantly be entertained and given things so that they'll come. And it's just a business. Keep them there. Their money keeps coming in, and then they can just keep the business going. Is anybody seeing this? So the wheat and the tares are being separated, but in the days to come, it will increasingly get that way. And it will become much more obvious. Ultimately, before Jesus comes, the ultimate test will be the mark of the beast. Because the fake church, the tares are going to take it with no qualms and will turn around and persecute those that don't. Just like the vaccines. Get ready. It's the same thing. It's coming. They will take the mark and they'll persecute the real church that won't. So... It's coming. I mean, there, there's this huge separation. And those that are the tares that are not God's true people, they're going to become increasingly loud, increasingly liberal. They're going to become increasingly pro-LGBT, even more so pro-abortion. They're going to be for the things God is against. And they're going to spin it like they do. They're going to spin it somehow to where they're righteous and they're humanitarian, they're about the Lord, and it's going to be deceptive. It's going to be so deceptive that some people will fall for it. And they're going to paint the true people of God as being a bunch of haters that, that won't go along with what's best for everybody. You understand? And so there's going to be this, this clash there between the two, and it's going to be increasingly evident in the days to come. I believe that the harlot church will have an affinity toward great rebellion and even witchcraft. I believe that in the days to come. I believe the harlot church will be comfortable with sexual immorality. There'll be probably very few in the harlot church that are not either having sex outside of marriage, adultery, or homosexual activity. Very few of them. They'll be very sexually immoral. And they'll be very idolatrous. And they're going to be totally in line with the false prophet in the Antichrist when that comes. So God's people are being separated from the fake. So I want you to think about this tonight. Make sure those that are hearing this sermon, make sure. Bible says, come out from among them, my people, and be separate. Be holy unto me. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you, but it's... God is calling us out, and here's the question. Are you really, truly born again, or are you just playing it, playing games? You go to church because, you know, you have to. You're just playing games. I'm going to tell you, if you're not really the Lord's, you're not going to make it one day. You're not going to be able to ride your, your parents, your grandparents, your pastors walk with God you will not be able to make it. it these days are, are going to be such that it's going to require that you have your own walk with God. You know him for yourself. You're truly born of God, and you've repented of your sins. And people that are not that way, they're going to be deceived. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of scary scriptures in the Bible about the last days. One of them is, if you don't love the truth, everybody say love love the truth if you don't love the truth the bible says you will be given over to a delusion to believe a lie 
In fact, it may imply like a specific lie. But people that don't really love the truth are going to end up being totally deceived. They're going to be, listen, if God gives you over to a delusion, you're going to be deluded. <laughs> okay, you're going to be delusional or whatever. You're going to be, if God gives you over, what chance do you have? So people are going to have to really love the truth. What does it mean to love the truth? It means that you're willing to be persecuted for the truth. Did everybody hear that? You're willing to be persecuted for the truth. You love it with all your heart. And we're going to have to love the word. We're going to have to love. We're going to have to stand for what God's for, against what God's against. And we're going to have to be resolute about it. And it may cost us some things in the future. As even I remember as we were going through this, all this nonsense with COVID and the vaccines and all that, they're, they're trying to shut down churches. There was even a cop down here. I'm thinking to myself, this is the United States of America. And we've got a cop down here wanting to regulate if we're going to go to church or not. It's insane. And, it, and it's actually, I'm not going to get political, but it's actually the highest law in America is the Constitution, which ensures the freedom of assembly. So the people that are doing that right there are going, are the lawless ones that are going against the highest law of the land. Why not give people the choice to come or not? If they consider them stupid, then hey, let them, let them come. That's their business. But anyway, there, there's this move to try to suppress freedom. And that's why I'm praying for some more time because I want America to still continue to have the freedom to be able to see more and more witnessing in the days to come and it not being suppressed. The freedom to get out and share our faith and to gather together and see revival. That's why I'm praying for more time. But time is running out. And eventually, there's going to be a move that's going to take away the freedoms of the entire world. And you're not going to be able to do anything, including by or sell, without taking a mark. And it's going to be more of a globalization. Mark my words, it's coming. It's not, see, it'll become eventually more of a United Nations thing. It's going to become more global. And so what we've known, even in our Constitution, will be overrided, if you will, by a United Nations type of laws and regulations. They'll regulate the Internet. They'll regulate everything to totally remove the gospel from being able to be preached. So what I'm praying is God give us time, give us the freedoms now that we can see the revival, but we can see the fullness of the harvest come in and we have the freedom. Okay, so I want to get off that now and move into something. So when the Lord gave me these few scriptures I want to share, at first this may seem like a strange passage to use, but Isaiah chapter 32, and let me just say this. I understand, how many have ever read Isaiah? It is one of the most remarkable books in the Bible that the prophet Isaiah had unbelievable insight and I love reading Isaiah. I think it's amazing. But here, I understand that Isaiah is seeing something. He's seeing, there's layers in this. Number one, he's seeing the coming of Assyria and Babylon to take captive Israel 
Okay, he's seeing that. And then after that, he's seeing the restoration. So hear what I'm saying tonight. He's seeing them go into captivity, but then he's seeing later in the days of Cyrus, them coming back with Ezra and Nehemiah and being restored. So he's seeing this. But like it is with a lot of prophecies, uh, prophetic writings rather, there seems to be layers in this because it also seems at the beginning like he, at the same time, he's also seeing the second coming of Jesus and the millennial reign of Christ as well. But when God gave me this, he gave this to me in a way that was a little personalized for us. And so just bear with me because I do believe that the Lord gave me this scripture and I want you to see something here. So Isaiah chapter 32, verse one, it says, behold, a king will reign in righteousness. Who is that? Jesus. And princes will rule with justice. So there seems to be here like the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth, the millennial reign is seen. But also, I want you to notice a few things as we read. Each one of them will be like a hiding place from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in dry land, like a shade of a huge rock in a parched and weary land to those who turn to them. Then the eyes of those who see, well, let me just stop there. So there's refuge, like some kind of a refuge. And as God gave me this and told me to read it, I began to see something here. I believe river of life in the latter days that we're living before Jesus comes, that God is going to give places sprinkled out around here in Texas, around America and around the world. There's going to be places that are going to be where Jesus reigns. It's a true church where Jesus is the head of that church. Is everybody hear what I'm saying? He really reigns there. And his princes are those that are just his faithful leadership of that church that truly know the Lord. And God's going to make those places like a haven or a refuge that even though all this stuff is going on in the last days, somehow those places will be like a shelter and a refuge from all of the perilous times around people may come in frazzled because of all that's going on but when they get in there there's such a presence of God and there's such spiritual authority there that they find such rest they find healing they find deliverance they find a refuge and I believe that that's the first thing that I that God is showing me then verse three then the eyes of those uh will who see will not be blinded the ears of those who hear will listen attentively so there's going to be spiritual vision and hearing, and the heart of those who act impulsively will discern the truth. So there's going to be true discernment, and the tongue of stammers will hurry to speak clearly. But it goes on to say this, though. The fool, and it has in the Amplified good for nothing, but the fool will no longer be called noble. You know what that's saying there? See, we're living in a time right now where some that are actually a fool, according to the Bible, okay, what the Bible would say, here's the description of a fool. Some people that are actual fools are being seen as wise, and some that are wise are being seen as fools. But when the Lord is reigning in righteousness, 
and his presence and power are there, the fool will be seen for the fool he is. And the wise will be seen for the wise that they are. Amen? Deception is removed. So let me skip down to verse 9 for the sake of time. But then here's the, here's the part that concerned me because we're talking about the true bride versus the harlot church. It says in verse 9, now in context, Isaiah is seeing one of these days Assyria is coming to plunder Israel and Babylon's coming to plunder Judah. But these people are living as though nothing is wrong. Doesn't that sound like a lot of the church today? Like there's, we're in perilous times yet it's like the days of Noah. They're just eating and drinking and being married, being given, like nothing's going on until sudden destruction comes and then all of a sudden they want to get serious about things. But look at this. You see the same thing here. Isaiah is saying, don't you see that things are on the horizon that are deadly? And look at what he says in verse 9. Rise up, you women who are carefree, and hear my voice, you confident and unsuspecting daughters. Listen to what I'm saying. In a little more than a year, you will tremble. You unsuspecting and complacent women, for the vintage has ended. In other words, everything you stored up in the barns and you thought, we'll never run out of food. We've got Laodicea, right? We're rich and in need of nothing. He said, oh, your vintage will run out. And when you desperately look then to the harvest because all your savings is gone, he said, the harvest won't come either. Tremble, you women who are carefree. Tremble with fear, you complacent ones. Strip, undress, and wear sackcloth on your waist in grief. He's saying you need to become intercessors. You need to put on your sackcloth, and you need to begin to intercede because there's troubling times in front of you. He said, beat your breast in mourning for the beautiful fields, for the fruitful vine, for the land of my people growing over with thorns. Isaiah is saying, look, you think that it's this beautiful vineyard in front of you, he said, in the days to come, it's going to be thorns and briars. But see, if they were to repent and get in deep intercession and prayer, some of this probably could have been avoided. And he said this, he goes on to say, the houses of joy in the joyous city, he said, they will mourn. He said, the palace has been abandoned. The populated city deserted. The hill of the city and the watchtower have become caves for wild animals, which is, uh, usually speaks of the demonic. See, when you, in the Bible, a lot of times wild animals will be synonymous with demonic. It was saying there that the enemy is infiltrated. Anyway, but look at verse 15. See, eventually what he sees is the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, but also for you and I, here's what I believe the Lord is saying. Until the spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fertile field and the fertile field a valued forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness will live in the fertile field and the effect of righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness, quietness and confident trust. So what he's saying, what I believe the Lord is saying for you and I is this. We're seeing what's going on in the world and we're seeing the perilous times. And God is saying to you and I, 
this is the time to be putting on your sackcloth and getting in prayer until my spirit's poured out. But what, and I'm saying this in love. I'm not upset or anything. I'm just saying what I see in most of Christendom is just eating and drinking and being merry and partying and living it up like nothing's wrong. And yet we're in desperate times. The last thing a lot of people are doing is wearing their sackcloth and getting in prayer, so to speak. But what he's saying here is river of life. Keep pressing in in prayer until my spirit is poured out. And this is what he says here, that if you read it in context, he says this. He said, I see the palace abandoned. I see the fertile field of desert. But then he says what? Until the Holy Spirit is poured out, then it will reverse. The desert will then become a beautiful, fruitful vine again, if you will. It'll become fruitful. And so that's what we've got to press in for because it's coming. I'm telling you, River of Life, God's going to make a way. He's going to separate the tares from the wheat. He's going to pour out his spirit. There's going to be places. It won't necessarily be all over, but I believe that there's going to be havens, places where God will establish Christ's authority There'll be churches that are true biblical churches. Christ is actually the head of that church. The leadership will rule with him in spiritual authority and power. It'll be a haven of God's presence and power. It'll be a place where the word of God is preached and the gifts are in operation. It'll be a refuge. And the Lord is saying, when I pour out my spirit... We're looking at all this and we're looking at perilous times and it seems like difficult to get people saved. Have you noticed that? I mean, there was a time 10 years ago or more that we'd go out witnessing and we would have more testimonies. It seems like things have gotten more oppressed. But until the Holy Spirit's poured out, then the desert will become a beautiful place where the harvest is yielded again. And then here's another thing the Lord gave me was this. Judges 2 verse 1, we have entered a season of breakthrough, but let me tell you, river of life, we better lay hold of this season of breakthrough, because if we don't get fully, completely the breakthrough that God has for us individually and corporately, let me show you. So see, God told Israel, when you enter the promised land, They ended up going in with Joshua, okay? He said, when you enter that promised land, make sure, y'all please hear me, look this way, hear me. Make sure that you completely and totally drive out the inhabitants. Don't make covenants with them. He said, I want every high place, every pagan temple, every idol torn down and destroyed. Completely take the land. Don't leave anything like that there. But here's what they did. We know this because in Judges it says that Joshua and all the previous leaders died and there was a generation that came up that did not know the Lord like Joshua did. And because of that, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They left the people in the land. They did not tear down the idols. And listen to what happened in Judges 2. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim, 
And he said this to Israel. He said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you to the land which I swore to give you to your swore to give your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, here's what he said. You shall not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land, but you shall tear down all their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you've done? So I also said, I will not drive out your enemies before you now, but rather they're going to be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. And when the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all of Israel, the people raised their voices and wept and they named that place Bochim, which means weepers. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord. But see, they didn't do what I feel this river of life. We have stepped into a season of breakthrough. But Steve Hill used to say this a lot at Brownsville. He's quoting D.L. Moody, I think. But the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. You've got to seize this time. And there's a window that's open for everybody to kind of get cleared away whatever has been against you spiritually. Whatever that means for you and for all of us, including this church as a whole. There's been spiritual darkness that's trying to resist people, trying to resist churches. And the Lord has given us a window of opportunity to drive the darkness completely out. Did y'all hear me? Drive it all the way out. Don't leave a trace of darkness. Let it be thorough. And if we don't do that, I'm concerned that when the opportunity is kind of passed and we move into the next season where we're seeing answer prayers and things are going strong, what could happen? Those very things that you did not deal with could be a thorn in your side that rises up against you and really tries to hinder you because it wasn't dealt with. Maybe it's been causing a besetting sin. Maybe it's been causing health problems. Maybe it's something else. But whatever it is, get it driven completely out. Be vicious against the devil. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent take it by force. The violence is not against flesh and blood. It's against the devil. You need to get aggressive about driving the enemy out of every trace. Don't tolerate anything. Get completely freed up from anything the devil's been doing. And there's three major battlegrounds. The first is obviously personal, that you get completely free from every trace of the enemy. And God may have to show you some things, and that's where we're entering into a fast. I encourage people, pray about this. Lord, if there's any area in my life where the enemy has something, show me and help me get rid of it. He'll answer that prayer. But we need to be very persistent about that. And then the second battleground is the church world. God bless the church world. But there, there are so many problems. And the thing is, you, you have to learn to walk in freedom. But then you have to deal with the forces of hell that come against the corporate body. And try to cause discord among the brethren and offenses and, and people hating this group and this group hating this group. And what the critics out there that make videos against revivals and speak against the things of God. I mean, there's this war that goes on actually in the church. Satan's fifth column. 
And then finally, the third battleground is the princes and power and territorial forces that you face in a region. There's three battlegrounds. We've got to conquer in ourselves first. Then we've got to learn to walk in victory over the forces of the enemy coming against the church and not get affected by it. You know, I just say this in passing. But there's a couple things that concern me. And I've, it's not here in River of Life because I, I say this with the right spirit, but I ran these type of people off. But everywhere that I've gone, there has been just about every church that I can think of I've been in and just about every group I've ever been a part of, there was a, a small group of people somewhere that was embedded in that group like a tumor. And those people wanted to manipulate and control the entire group. Hello? Witchcraft in the church. And they, those type of people can get so nasty. They will blackball somebody they don't like they will find a way to blackmail some people. They, they will maliciously slander and malign people. They will stop at nothing to do whatever they've got to do to manipulate and control that thing the way they want it to go. And another thing that's concerned me is because of, I guess there's multiple reasons. I'm not going to get into it, but... There's a generation like judges. There's a generation that's come up that doesn't seem to know the Lord like the previous generation spiritually. And they're comfortable with things that they shouldn't be. Okay, they're comfortable with worldliness. They're comfortable, for example, I've seen a few that are comfortable with their kids dabbling in the occult with things like, I don't know, just different video games and movies and things that are blatantly witchcraft. They're comfortable with their kids messing with that stuff but they squirm very uncomfortably at testimonies like my wife's testimony. There's something seriously wrong there. There's something very, very wrong. There's something in them that is comfortable with the occult and uncomfortable with Jesus the Deliverer. So there's three battlegrounds here. We've got to get freed up. We've got to get the church freed up and walk in freedom. And we've got to walk in freedom and victory over the territorial forces in our region. So what I see in a broad, in a, you know, kind of, you remember the, the old saying about the macro and the micro, you know, when you pull back and you look at the big, big picture of things is the macro. I see that, We've been through River of Life along with everybody else out there, but there's been this per period of difficulties that everybody's gone through in America, the American church. And things have gotten strange. But with that said, God is about to pour out his spirit and the wheat and tares will be separated. I believe things are going to look different in the days to come because of that. I really do. And I believe a lot of the places that, that have been seen as successful and seen in a positive light, as the Lord really begins to move, they're going to actually be seen for what they are, very shallow. You remember what it said there? Until the Spirit of God's poured out, but it said that the fool will be seen for a fool. See, God will deal with it. All right.
And, and those that have been seen foolish will be seen correctly. In other words, when the Lord pours out his spirit and he really comes, all of that's going to start changing. Things will be seen the right way. Right now, there's a lot of deception. But here's what I feel for River of Life, and the Lord spoke to me to read this scripture. So judgment of enemies, restoration, protection, and the glory. I want you to hear Zechariah chapter 2. But if you read Zechariah chapter 1, you see that Zechariah saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse, okay? He saw them going out in the earth. The number four, by the way, is the number of the earth, okay? So north, south, east, and west on a rabbit trail there, but four is the number of the earth. So the four horsemen of the apocalypse going out, he saw that in Zechariah chapter one, he writes about it. And he saw how these forces of hell, if you will, the same type of writers, I'm not saying necessarily it's exactly the same as what John saw per se, but he saw pretty much the same thing. He saw these horsemen going out and it stirred up the Gentile nations like Assyria and Babylon to come in and devour Israel. God allowed that as a judgment, but it goes on to say, but they went too far. And God said, I was just a little angry, but they really came in and slaughtered my people. So God said, now I'm going to judge them for what they did. And this is a really interesting read here because River of Life, listen, if you can catch this tonight, I believe there's a revelation for you and I. Zechariah 2 verse 1, it says, Zechariah said, I looked up and I saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I said, where are you going? He said, to measure Jerusalem. Now remember, Zechariah was living in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah when they were going to rebuild the temple and the walls and all that. He was sent there to be an encourager. Isn't it interesting how God gives sermons and there's such continuity? I didn't even intend for it. But Isaiah saw this, and now Zechariah, all these years later, is the prophet living when it's happening. And he says this, I see that there's this man, which is an angel, that's measuring things out. And the angel who speaks with me said, going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him. And he said to the second angel, run, speak to that man, saying, Jerusalem, look at this. It's like the Lord saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And look at this, Jerusalem will be inhabited again. Even without walls spreading out in open country because of the great number of people and livestock in it. For I, declares the Lord, will be, look at this, a wall of fire about her. And a glory in her midst. Everybody say supernatural protection. See, Ezra, Nehemiah, Nehemiah is looking at, we need to build up the walls. And they did. It was important. But God was saying, I'm going to restore you so much, you're going to overflow outside the walls. But he said, don't worry about it because I'll be about you like a wall of fire. And I'll protect you. And he said, I'll be about you not only as a wall of fire, but I'll be a glory in your midst. And that's what he was saying in this day because they were rebuilding the temple. How many remember reading this where the older people saw it and wept because they, they remembered the temple of Solomon's glory? But the prophets here, Zechariah was saying, don't weep about it. Said it may look inferior physically, but the glory will be far greater in this temple than it was in Solomon's. How many would rather have the glory than a fancy building any day? Amen. 
And so verse 6, Zechariah, he's going on, he says, hear this, look at this, flee from Babylon, the land of the north, north, which shall come under judgment, declares the Lord. See, Babylon scattered, Babylon came in and slaughtered. And God allowed it as a judgment. But God also said, if you read Zechariah 1 and 2, I'm paraphrasing, but God also said, Babylon, you went too far. And now it's judgment time for you. And he's saying here, you better get out of Babylon because judgment's coming. If you're there when it comes, you're going to share in that judgment. Get out of it because it's coming. I believe God's about to judge some things. You know, there comes a high water mark where the Lord has had enough, where Satan has been doing things, where the church has been perverted, where things have gotten off. And the Lord sees that and he says, all right, that's it. I'm going to begin to step in. I'm going to begin to bring judgment. But also for River of Life, how many have felt that the devil has been pretty viciously trying to attack some areas? Well, the Lord is saying, I've had enough of it. And it's time that God is going to begin to judge our enemies. And the Bible says, when a thief is caught, he must restore sevenfold. I believe it's time for the enemies to be judged and there to be a restoration take place in our lives individually and corporately. I believe that we've entered that time. And he said this regarding Babylon, judgment's coming for I have scattered you like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Remember four is the number of the earth. Verse seven, hear Zion, Jerusalem, escape. He's saying, get away from Babylon. Escape you who are living in the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, now listen, doesn't that sound like Revelation chapter 18, come out from her, my people, so you don't share in her plagues and judgments? Listen, here's the thing. People need to understand, we better get serious with the Lord and come out from these harlot church. Wherever the harlot church is gathered, we better get out of that group and get with God's real people because I believe judgment is coming. He says, after glory, he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. Behold, I will wave my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for their own slaves. Then you shall know, recognize, and understand fully that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Every time you see the Lord of hosts, remember it's the God of angel armies. Verse 10, sing for joy and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. How many are ready for revival that will gather in all the different people groups, social, economical, ethnic, all going to be gathered to the Lord. And he said this, and I will dwell in your midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will take possession of Judah as his portion, the Holy Land, and will choose again Jerusalem. And I love this. Verse 13, be still before the Lord, all mankind, for he is roused from his holy habitation in response to his persecuted people. So the Lord says that he is coming and he will move in power, pour out his spirit, he will restore. And then... Hosea, the Lord gave me this scripture, 
Hosea verse six, or chapter six, verse one, it says, come, let us return in repentance to the Lord. For he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. If people, we've been through, some of us have maybe been through a rather brutal season. And we haven't really understood everything that's happened and why. I don't always understand everything, but I do know from the scripture that like, for example, God called David and anointed David and David ended up having to flee for his life and hide in caves. It could, scholars said that could have been up to 16 years. If I had to guess, I think it's 14. I have reason for that. But if it's 14 years, that's still a long time. And sometimes we look at people like Joseph. Do you remember Joseph? He had to, what, he had to go through the pit. Then he had to go through being falsely accused and be in the prison. You look at the life of Joseph and say, man, did he really have to go through all that? Well, it positioned him, though. You know, I think that Joseph and David, for example, I think that God allowed those things to humble them and to prepare them so that when their time came, they could be compassionate, they could be humble, that they wouldn't get lifted up with pride, they wouldn't be abusive to people because they themselves have been through some really hard times. And so when they saw their people, they had compassion on them. Well, sometimes God allows us to go through things and we don't understand why it's been so brutal but there's a reason for it a lot of times that we don't understand. And so you can look in the natural and you can see, for example, to get the oil, you have to crush the olive. To get the, the fruit of the vine, you have to crush the grape. And, the, and a lot of times things that are forged, for example, you take gold and you put it to the fire and all the impurities come to the top. And you can skim them off. And so I think a lot of times we go through this stuff but it's meant as a good thing for us. The testings and trials of our faith works patience. It changes us. God uses it to purify us like silver. You know that in the, uh, the refiner's fire to purify us. And then he says, look, he's wounded us, but he'll bandage us. And then verse 2, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, raise us up that we may live before him. So let us know and become personally acquainted with him. Let us press on to know and understand fully the greatness of the Lord, to honor, heed, and deeply cherish him. This is for river of life. You ready? And then it says in Hosea at the end of verse 3, his appearing is prepared and is as certain as the dawn and he will come to us in salvation like heavy rain like the spring rain watering the earth. In other words, what that saying is, just as certain as the sun's coming up tomorrow, it has been preordained that God is going to show up in River of Life. And he says, how is he going to come? He's going to come like a heavy rain revival. Some of us have been through some pretty brutal times. Some things just like how God spoke of Babylon. Maybe the enemy went too far. Maybe the enemy, uh, got, you know, Satan used people and it, it was too much. But let me tell you something. God knows how to judge the enemy. 
And God knows how to restore the years the locusts have eaten. And just like Isaiah saw, he saw Israel going into captivity and being plundered. He saw the palace empty. He saw all of that, but he said, eventually, God's going to pour out his spirit and restore. And it happened in the second temple period. And we know also right here in Zechariah, he's saying, look, the Lord sees these things. He has seen how the enemy was brutal to you. He says, I'll judge the enemy and I'll restore things for you. I'll be a wall of fire about you, a glory in your midst. And Hosea is saying, you've been through some difficult times that was meant to humble you, is meant to purify you. Because a lot of times, God can't really do what he wants to do in us when everything is going our way. Things have to get difficult because then you start really pressing into God. And, and God is saying here, look, sometimes the Bible says in all things give thanks. Do you know when Paul wrote about that? In prison. And see, you automatically think of prison here in America where you got TV and stuff. <laughs> Air conditioning. Paul was in a Roman prison. And he's writing, probably with rats around, he's writing there, in all things give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we got to understand that the difficulties we're going through is doing a work in us that nothing else can do. It's painful. You don't want to go through it. You certainly don't want to go through it again. But God has done something. And so what God wants us to understand is this, being thankful in all things, being thankful even for the difficulties and thanking the Lord that in the end, Lord, I've been through some stuff, but I thank you because this is going to be a testimony that gives you glory. You know, we all want the testimony, but nobody really wants the test. Right? Think about it. That old song or whatever that it's like, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Right? Everybody wants the testimony, but they don't want to have to go through the stuff that produces the testimony. I mean, who wants to suffer? I mean, people don't want to go through things, but it's necessary. The Lord says, I have wounded you, but I will heal you. My coming to you is certain as the dawn, and I will come in my salvation like a heavy rain. I feel it. I feel the Lord's nearness. I feel the Lord coming. So river of life, there's things that are in this, of course, hopefully will minister to many that are hearing this, but I felt this first sermon was just to begin to understand the harlot church and some things going on. And we're going to get pretty deep with this subject, but I felt for river of life. River of life has been faithful to stay the course, to be a holy people and, and to press into God and God, I believe, has earmarked this place for a visitation. And he'll make a way. God always does. There's been times in my life I could tell you that I would look at things and I had absolutely no understanding of how, but all of a sudden when it was the right time, things just began to happen. And it just worked out. And I mean, it was amazing, but that's how this is going to be. God has preordained that he's going to visit this ministry. He's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to bring in a harvest. And he's going to bring supernatural provision. It's going to happen because he said it will. 
So let's be, right now is the time, I close with this, this is the time for us to drive out every enemy, to be persistent, and I mean to be firm about it, get rid of every trace of the enemy, and let God begin as the enemy's going to restore back. See, deliverance and restoration go together. Joel 1 and 2, remember, the armies came in like locusts, and then the Bible says, if you'll pray and fast, he said, I'll drive out your enemies from before you. And then I will pour out my spirit and restore the years the locusts have eaten. Please catch that. The deliverance, then after that, the restoration. But it has to come once we get the victory over the enemy. It's like David. They came, the enemy came in and raided Ziklag. And took everything. David's men had been out with him. And they came home after all that they had been through. Having to do all. They come home and their, their wives and children and everything's gone. And they wept. And then they wanted to do what a lot of people wanted to do. Well, it's all David's fault. Let's kill David. You know, <laughs> blame somebody. And I imagine David's thinking, I didn't raid your families, guys. But Ziklag, that's where the Amalekites came in. But David had to do this. David had to go attack the enemy and once he defeated the enemy the Bible says he got back everything that was stolen and much more that's what's coming everything I want you to lay hold of it the persistent widow everything that the enemy has damaged will be repaired Everything the enemy has stolen will be restored many times over. Amen? How many can believe for that? This, it's a time for breakthroughs, the enemy to flee, and restoration. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. I believe this is a time for River of Life. We've stepped to, into a window of major breakthroughs. And I thank you, Lord, for coming in this place in power. In Jesus' mighty name. So I want us to go ahead and um, we're going to pray for people. But before we do that, I want you to go ahead actually and just let's go offline because there's something I want to share. Just let me know when everything's gone offline completely because I want to.